This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes! Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Com. As always, I say hello to you, Elon, and hello to everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in once again. Well, this is a week to tune in for. There's been so much going on. Trades, injuries, roster moves. We're going to bring you all the information you need, and we're going to give you, of course, the most in-depth fantasy hockey analysis we can give you. Based on, you know, a lot of these players haven't even played a game yet with their new team. So we'll do the best we can. I'm excited for this episode. I'm also excited to say that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com. There are a ton of changes in depth charts happening with trades happening here and there. And Daily Faceoff watches every single beat writer and tracks every single note from practice and puts it up in their line combinations tool over at DailyFaceOff.com. It's a good way to stay appraised of what lines may look like before the game begins and also keep track of what they look like after the game is over. An invaluable resource at this time of year. For sure. And maybe there's some listeners who are heading into their fantasy hockey playoffs next week. I am in one of my leagues because it's two-week playoff matchups. Others still have maybe three weeks to go. Maybe some listeners are not even in the playoffs, but I doubt that if they've been listening all year. But let's get into talking about some things that have happened in the past week and what you can do about it. Let's start with the big injury. Well, actually, there were two big injuries, but I want to start with Ryan Miller going down with a sprained knee in Vancouver. He's going to be out four to six weeks, pretty much the rest of the regular season, or maybe he'll come back like right at the end. So the obvious bad news for Ryan Miller owners. Hopefully you're able to pick up another goalie to replace him. The obvious choice would be Eddie Lack, the backup who's had a really great season so far. In 22 games played, he has a 916 save percentage. I assume that's above the league average, Brian? Yeah, the league average so far this season is 913. So yeah, an above average goalie. Maybe not on the best team. Like He only has 7 wins in 22 games played, but Vancouver is in a playoff race, so who knows if they'll be able to make that extra push. Not saying that you should pick up Eddie Lack. Obviously, Brian's going to be the one to suggest whether or not, but he's one option. There's some other goalie options, though, in the league, which we'll also maybe mention. So, Brian, first and most obvious question, is Eddie Lack a smart pickup if you want to replace Ryan Miller and he's available? Yeah, Eddie Lack is a good pickup if you want to replace Ryan Miller. I'm not going to call Ryan Miller's injury karma or anything because that that's not right but if you had him to this point I feel like maybe this is a blessing in disguise if you're being forced to look elsewhere or if you were able to pick up Lack because aside from Miller's very strong start to the season where he won 15 of his first 19 starts and posted three shutouts in that time even with like only average numbers he hasn't been that great lately. Of course, he did have a really good January. The numbers came then, but the wins didn't. He hasn't put the whole picture together for any of his fantasy owners all season. And we encouraged you to sell high earlier in the year. If you did not, or if you bought high, now you have a problem on your hands. Miller's out, and Lack is a fine replacement. His save percentage in many fewer games than Miller is actually a few points better. And I feel like he might actually be the better goalie. It's kind of like Groundhog Day all over again with Luongo and Schneider, except both 
goalies in this situation are a little worse than their counterparts from that situation. The wild card here is Jacob Markstrom, who was a throw-in in the Luongo trade to Florida and had seen his star really fall off pretty terribly after being a blue-chip prospect and then having a few terrible turns in the NHL. And then the Canucks picked him up for very little and they gave him an opportunity, and he's done really well so far this year. But the thing is that if he plays more than 10 games in the NHL, because he's on an emergency call-up, he'll have to go through waivers to be sent back down to the AHL. So if you're wondering if Lack and Markstrom might split time, answer is that they probably won't, because I imagine the Canucks are going to want to protect Markstrom's waiver status because they're not going to be able to sneak him down to the AHL at this point like they were able to earlier this year. Well, I did read one thing that it's possible that if they decided that Markstrom was worthy of having all of these starts, more than 10 starts, they also have the option of just leaving him on the team and running with three goalies, just like Minnesota's doing. That's true, Elon. And I suppose that's possible, although Minnesota has no goalies in that trio. I think that they'd like to develop further. Kemper, they could try sending down to the AHL. I don't know if anybody would grab him through waivers. But Markstrom, I feel like the Canucks probably would rather have him playing games on a consistent basis in the AHL rather than rotating between starting, backing up, and being scratched. Right, okay. Well, I was feeling especially good about Lack, of course, after he came in relief when Miller got injured and completed a shutout against the Islanders. Then his next game against Boston, he led in only one goal on 41 shots to get the win against Boston. Then his last game against Buffalo... He got hammered, let in five goals, 783 save percentage. It was a bad start. Hopefully, Lack will be able to bounce back if you're someone who picked him up. But if, let's say, you're concerned about Lack and you think Markstrom will play, there are some other goalie options available. One interesting piece of news that came out last week was that Chicago sent Antti Ranta down to the minors, which I found pretty surprising just because he's actually had a really great season himself. He's appeared in 14 games as a 936 save percentage. He had a bad game against Boston, and then I guess that was it. I don't know if this is going to be for the season, actually, Brian. I'm curious to know if you know anything about the roster situation overall. But I'm mentioning this because now Scott Darling is up, and we all remember the last time Scott Darling came up. Of course, this was when Corey Crawford was injured, but Darling was like the best player to own during that short stretch. Now he's back again. Maybe he's someone worth owning. Of course, it's not the same situation because he's the backup to Crawford, but I'd imagine they didn't make this goalie move just to have Darling play once every 10 games. The Chicago goaltending situation is really curious, and I was kind of hoping it would have been settled by now. However, it hasn't been, so let's run down what we know. We know that earlier this week, the Blackhawks, Elon, like you said, they sent Ronta down, like with very little explanation, no reason, and called up Darling. When they called up Darling, they signed him to a two-year extension, so something seemed fishy. Why would you send down your regular backup goaltender who's been with the team all season and bring up somebody who, well, is at the very best probably the same as that goalie in Scott Darling. The best speculation I saw at the time was that Rockford, Chicago's AHL affiliate, wasn't playing for a few days, and it was a way to make sure that Ranta wouldn't get into games or back up in case he was traded so that he'd be for sure healthy because he'd come on in relief for Corey Crawford, had a bad appearance, and then got immediately sent down. I don't think that's the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of what the Blackhawks thought of Ranta. I still think something might be cooking. We're only going to find out when the trade deadline rolls around. So what does this mean for the two Blackhawks backups? Let's start with Scott Darling, who's up there now, and who I had stashed away in a not-active spot on my team. I am elated that he's back. I did not have any real expectation that he'd play another game for my team this year. I am the guy who still has Josh Harding in an NA spot on my roster as well. But Scott Darling, I was happy to see him back. He had a great first game against Florida, stopped 34 of 36 shots, picked up the win in a shootout but then had a bit of a clunker against Tampa last night. He started off strong, but finished the night with an 862 save percentage in a 4-0 Chicago loss. It was Chicago's third game in four nights, and they were on the second half of a back-to-back, so I'm not going to hold it totally against Darling. I still think he's a good goalie in nine starts so far this season, and they comprise his entire career. He's a 9.30 save percentage, and we've talked about this before, way back at the start of the season when we were assessing Corey Crawford's value, 
any goalie who is like NHL average at least and plays for Chicago is going to be just fine. As for what this means for Ranta, well, I added him also. I'm a glutton for Chicago backup goalies. And the reason actually, Elon, is something that I shared with our Facebook patron group a few weeks ago. Chicago has three back-to-backs in my league's playoff weeks, which I'm hoping means that their backup will see three starts, one in each of those weeks, and that'll just help me make sure I get my minimum goalie start requirements and in a really good way. So I was actually targeting Antiranta in a trade. The owner of Antiranta dropped him when he was demoted, and I just grabbed him off waivers with a little $2 claim out of my $1,000 budget. And whether Ranta backs up or is traded to another team for the rest of the season, I'm happy to have him on my roster, but of course, this is with my own goaltending strategy, which right now is to have a few starts, not very many starts, but just two or three each week that are good starts. I'm not looking for volume, I'm looking for quality. So I'm hoping Ranta will either do that as he continues to be the backup for Chicago for the rest of the season, or if he's traded to another team, I'll get to reassess. Maybe he'll be in a role where he plays a little more often on a weaker team and I'll have to decide exactly how I want to play him. But in that case, he's still an asset to me. So I like every Chicago Blackhawks goalie right now. All right. So for those of us that don't have the luxury of having every single Chicago backup goalie, it seems like you're saying that this is probably a short-term thing. The thing is, it's all speculation right now. It's hard to know if there is no trade if Darling's going to stay up or if Ranta's going to come back up. I guess we'll have to find out. Right now, obviously, it's nice to have Darling on your team because he's the one in the nets. But I'm obviously very curious to see what's going to happen. Follow us on Twitter and we'll give you our up-to-date analysis if a move happens with Ranta. In the meantime, I still think he remains at least a look in deep leagues, especially if you can stash him for free in a not-active roster spot. So, okay, Brian, I want to mention one more goalie, which I guess we actually mentioned pretty often, but we'll mention him one more time, and then I want to rank all of these people if you only have one that you can take. Some news came out just yesterday. I don't know if this is news or it was obvious, but just to make it official, the Tampa Bay coach said that Andre Vasilevsky is going to be playing one or two games every week for the rest of the year, I guess regardless of what's happening with Bishop, just because... He wants to keep Bishop fresh for the playoffs, so that's great for the playoffs and great for Bishop, but that also means that if you're worried that Vasilevsky, who has been slumping a little bit lately, has had a few bad games in a row, looks like they're still planning on giving him starts. So Brian, with that said, who would you want to have on your roster between Vasilevsky, one of these Chicago backups, or Eddie Lack? If you asked me this a few weeks ago, knowing the situation that Vasilevsky was going to play regularly, I would have said, hands down... Vasilevsky. I would have been excited by those first couple starts he made in his first call-up where he blew everybody away. But since his most recent call-up on February 5th, he's started four times. Only one of those has registered as a quality start, and that was a win over Dallas in which he stopped 33 of 36, led in three goals, and posted a 9-17 save percentage. His last two starts have not been exactly as strong, and they've been against Colorado and LA, both on the road. And I'm not sure exactly what to make of him. Like, I still think he's a blue-chip prospect. I still think he's somebody you want on your team in a keeper league. How he compares to Eddie Lack, though, who's played more games and is above league average right now, That's a tough one. You have to imagine that Tampa is going to win a few more games over the course of the rest of the season than Vancouver will. And both those goalies are going to see more time than any of the Chicago Blackhawks backups. So if you're looking for a guy who's going to start somewhat regularly, if you're choosing between these two, I might even lean towards Lack. He might not have as high a winning percentage as Vasilevsky, but he's going to play enough games to make up that potential difference and put up at least, I think, league average numbers in the meantime. They're both pretty exciting guys to have on your team, and I feel like like it's either one. It depends on what you're looking for from your fantasy goalies, where they're slotting in. If you're looking for someone to be your number one or number two goalie, you're probably going to want Lack. If you're looking for a complimentary number three or a number two goalie in a somewhat shallow league, then you probably have a little more reason to consider Vasilevsky. Interesting stuff. And okay, let me throw one more goalie into the mix, actually. Since we're just, we'll just get all the goalie stuff out right at the top of the show, I think we have to mention that Andrew Hammond on the Senators, last week you said, I don't want Andrew Hammond in my lineup. Probably that convinced a lot of people not to pick him up, even though the other Ottawa goalies were injured. 
And they must hate us right now because Hammond has two shutouts in a row. He got them in two straight days. Anyone who did have him last week, I'm sure he single-handedly helped people win a lot of their matchups. So, Brian, have you changed your opinion on Andrew Hammond? Or do you think that what's in the past, you know, that was great and good for him, but you still wouldn't want him moving forward? I still wouldn't want him moving forward. And is that like a bold proclamation this week, considering what's happened so far? We did slight him last week and we got called out for it too and we like getting called out so rye willow nine thanks for holding us to account he said i hate you guys so much right now you advised quote don't bother with hammond dot 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 all caps b2b shutouts with six exclamation marks and um rye willow nine has a point i'm sorry I don't think there was any rational way to have seen those shutouts coming. In fact, Hammond is 12 minutes and change away from setting the Ottawa Senators franchise record for consecutive minutes played without allowing a goal. We'll find out tonight if he's able to do that. I don't think he's worth an ad still, though. I don't suggest you drop anyone who's semi-established for him. If you're looking for quantity, if you just need a goalie, a warm body in your lineup, if some of these injuries have hurt you, and you haven't been quick enough to grab the backups that we've already spoken about, then sure, you can throw in Andrew Hammond. You can just sort of also take on the risk that he's going to blow up your numbers, because I still don't think he's an NHL-caliber goalie. Nothing he's done shows me that it's true. Although, yes, two shutouts, back-to-back nights on the road against Anaheim and LA are super impressive, and I was swooning over my hammy. That's a Denny's pun. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Brian. I guess so the reason why you say he hasn't shown you anything, you're talking about his numbers in the minors this season that have been pretty weak. I remember you mentioned last week it was less than 900 save percentage. Yeah, he has an 898 in Binghamton in 25 games played so far this season. To put it in context, he had seven wins in 25 games in Binghamton. He already has four wins in five appearances with Ottawa. Well, maybe he got better. So, and maybe, you know, he's enjoying having better defense in front of him. So who knows? I'd be curious to know if an NHL goalie were to play in some rec league in Toronto, how they would do compared to playing in the NHL. You would think, oh, they're playing against easier shooters, but at the same time, the defense is worse. I don't know if that's a fair comparison or not. And I thought that that's all the goalies I wanted to mention, but now it just reminds me, I should probably mention even just one more. So if there's anyone here who's fine with their goalies, they're probably listening to this episode and going, what's the point of this episode? I'm fine. I don't need any of this advice. So one more goalie, I promise. Then we're going to get onto some skaters. But I think we also have to mention Michael Neuverth as someone people might want to look at if they're looking to fill a last goalie spot. Only 8% owned in ESPN, and he's the starting goalie now in Buffalo since they traded Enroth away. And he's been doing great lately. Looking at his numbers, he had a stretch of six games in a row where his save percentage was 930 or higher. That got broken against Vancouver in his last game where he led in three goals on 31 shots, which isn't horrible. And he still got the win. Buffalo has won three of their last five games. Nothing spectacular, but he is capable of putting up wins. At least he's been showing. So Brian, where do you think Neuwirth fits into all of this mix? If you're someone who valued Jonas Enroth before he was traded when he was starting the bulk of the games for Buffalo, or if you were in a league in which he was valued and Neuwirth is available, then there's no reason not to grab Neuwirth. He is the newest Buffalo Sabres goaltender to get shelled a whole lot, and he's doing a pretty good job of withstanding the barrage. And the rumbling suggests that Neuwirth might be the number one in Buffalo going forward, and that they don't really want to trade him, even though he's a pretty valuable trade ship, or making himself into one at this time of the year. So let's say if you're looking for save percentage... You know, like, let's say, like, your situation that you just mentioned, Brian, where you want to get few quality starts. Would you rather have Neuwirth or, I guess, before you had Lack as your number one and maybe Vasilevsky? Let's say for a given start on a given day and you're looking for save percentage, who would you want? Looks like Neuwirth has the highest one of all of them on the season. He has 918 save percentage on the year. On Buffalo. Yeah, and he's played the most games out of all of them, too. So we can't say, well, he just hasn't played enough for us to really see what kind of goalie he is. I don't know. It's a really tough question. My instant reflexive answer was, come on, Elon, it's Eddie Lack, especially if you're looking at wins, right? Buffalo is not going to keep winning three out of every five games they play. But Neuwirth is not a bad goalie over the course of his career. He's a 9-13 goalie, and we've seen enough work from him that we can sort of figure that that's where he stands, right around the NHL average. And 
Well, he's playing a bit better than that lately. So if you want to go ride him for a little bit, go ahead. Just don't expect a lot of wind. And also expect that perhaps he won't be able to sustain the run of fantastic starts he's had lately. Elon, like you said, the six starts prior to his last one were all consecutive quality starts, which was really exciting and surprising. I hope he succeeds in Buffalo, but I wouldn't be putting too many eggs in his basket right now. Okay, and as promised, no more goalie talk. Let's talk about Patrick Kane's injury. Another devastating loss. Some of our patrons were telling us that they have Sagan and Kane on their IR. That is brutal. Some people are getting just decimated with injuries. And this is a crushing blow. Kane, of course, had been putting together another amazing season. 64 points in 61 games. He's a true all-star. I guess we could do our normal suggestion of if you're in a keeper league and someone who has Kane is contending, maybe now's a good time to try to trade for him, give someone that's producing now, and then you'll have him for the future. But I want to take a look at what's going on on the Chicago roster with Kane injured. That opens up a new spot on the top power play. That opens up a new spot in the top six, of course. So Brian, what has the fallout been since Kane went down? Well, Kane was playing with Richard, and then Sharp and Versteeg were taking turns as a third man on that line. So now I guess it looks like so far Sharp and Versteeg both get to be there and play with Brad Richards, which is good news for both of them. A lot of people were concerned about Patrick Sharp being on the third line earlier this season. I think he might have even taken a turn or two on the fourth line. So second line is a very good place for him to be. Chris Versteeg, on the other hand, is somebody who really does need to be playing with quality players to put up very meaningful fantasy production. He's reasonably productive in most cases, but could certainly use the help to give him a meaningful boost in numbers. The Blackhawk that I'm watching right now is Tuvo Teravainen, who I feel like should get a turn in that top six, even just to see what he has to offer. I'm really excited to see what this prospect can do at the NHL level. He's in the midst of his second stint with the team this year after being called up from Rockford before the Blackhawks played on February 26th. By all accounts, he's going to be a very good player. He was Chicago's first round pick, 18th overall in 2012. And this seems like a pretty safe time to give him some turns in that top six to see what they have and to see what they might want to do going forward in the playoffs. There are also Rumors about Patrick Sharp perhaps being traded away. In that case, I think he is the guy who gets to step up, but we're not about to make any moves based on trade speculation. It is something to keep an eye on, though. At this time of the season, you might want to have Tervainen on your watch list just for easy access, should something happen. Yeah, I guess we've mentioned Teravainen a few times over the course of the season as someone to maybe look at. Unfortunately, you know, he's played 17 games, only has five points to show for it. But again, he's averaging 11 minutes and a half a game. So it would be interesting to see what he would do with a top six role and increased minutes. Brian, do you think that the injury to Patrick Kane kind of puts the nail in the coffin for someone like Brad Richards, who at one point in the season we thought, wow, he's doing really well, better than we expected. But lately, you know, he only has four assists in his last 15 games. He's still in the top six, but definitely not performing like he used to. And I can't imagine it'll get better now that he's lost one of his top line mates. Do you think people should be considering dropping Richards if they have him at this point? Is he a potential snoozer? Well, I don't think it's such a terrible thing to be playing with Patrick Sharp instead of Patrick Kane. Don't get me wrong, it's a downgrade. And I suppose if I advise caution regarding Chris Versteeg, then you should exercise more caution around Brad Richards, who's fallen to about a half a point per game guy. Meanwhile, Versteeg has managed still to have 31 points in 43 games played this year. It's a good point, Elon. If he was a bubble guy on your roster a week ago, then you really should be keeping a close eye on him over the next week, as well as on your pool of free agents, not only to see if somebody better has emerged, but also to see if somebody equal has emerged because Brad Richards were sort of saying that maybe without Patrick Kane, his production might slip even a little further, which is hard to see though, because it's been pretty poor and inconsistent lately. I can't see it going much lower than it is right now. Yeah, and I know you always like to mention people's shot on goal totals, and Richards has definitely slipped there as well. I'm sure that's a big reason for why he's slumping. He's got 154 shots on 60 games on the year, so that's like two and a half shots a game. Lately, he's either getting one or two or zero in his past seven games. It's been a while since he's broken ahead of two, so I'm not feeling too good about Brad Richards right now. And I guess since we're on Chicago, let's mention a trade they made just yesterday. 
We talked last week about Kimo Timonen and how he was going to be coming back for the Flyers. Well, he is going to be coming back, but not for the Flyers because he got traded to the Blackhawks for a second-round pick. So it looks like it's going to be next Monday that Timonen is going to make his debut for the Blackhawks. And Brian, do you think this is good for Timonen's prospects as someone who you stashed, or do you think this is worse for him now that he's on this new team? Well, let's remember that we're tempering our expectations already for Kimo Timonen because he hasn't played it all this year. He hasn't even been able to skate for a very long time. Now that he's been traded to Chicago, I don't know that that changes a whole lot in my mind. I think he still slots in in the top four there. It looks like he could step into Kyle Kamiski's spot, and Kyle Kamiski stepped into Johnny Oduya's spot when he got injured, and I don't think was ever supposed to be a long-term option there. So perhaps Timonen will be paired with Nicholas Jalmerson, who, on the plus side, is very defensively responsible for what that'll be worth to Timonen's play. The trouble for Timonen will be slotting in on the power play, He's looking at the second power play unit at best right now, because on the back end of the first unit, right now it's Duncan Keith and Patrick Sharp. David Runblad plays alongside Brent Seabrook on that second power play unit, and I feel like that's where Timonen could slot in. He'll be seeing less time and playing with Richard, Versteeg, and Saad compared to what he would see on the first unit. But we'll see where he can fit in in Chicago. It was also going to be tough for him to crack that first unit in Philly with how Mark Stride has been doing so far this season. Voracek is the fourth forward on that unit right now. You know, at least Chicago's second unit is better than Philly's, so I guess that's a bit of a positive. I'm going to put him in my lineup, you know, after watching him for a couple games if I like him, and also if I like the opportunities he's getting. This is very much a conditional sort of ad. We've got to we've got to wait a week to see where he plays and what he does with his minutes. Yeah, definitely I'll be interested to look at the box score of Chicago's first game with Kimo Timonen in there to see how much power play time and just total ice time he gets. And I guess since we're talking about trades, we should probably go and talk about probably the biggest trade of the week. Yarmir Yager is off to Florida. New Jersey finally dealt him, got a couple of picks in return, so I'm sure that's good for them. Though they are challenging for the playoffs right now, so maybe it would hurt them, but maybe not, because Yager really has fallen off lately. In fact, he has no points in his last eight games. His ice time had been decreasing a lot. He got down to 12 minutes and 13 seconds in one game. This is a guy who was averaging more like 18 minutes a game before this slide. On the season, his numbers aren't fantastic. He's got 29 points in 57 games, but you know, take away these bad last eight games, and he had 29 points in... 49 games, which is, you know, much better. So I'm interested to know how Yager could do in this new situation on Florida. I assume he for sure slots into the top six. They didn't trade two draft picks away for him just to have him do nothing. I'm sure he's going to be on the top power play, or at least I'm pretty sure. I'd love to see what he can do with a guy like Nick Bjugstad. Brian, is this good or bad for Yarmir Yager? And if he's a free agent in people's pools, is now the time to grab him? Well, Elon, you can answer the second half of that question already, can't you? Well, yeah, in our joint league, I went and pulled the trigger and grabbed him. I dropped Riley Smith for him. And, you know, it was an easy move because Riley Smith is someone we had just picked up as a free agent. He's not doing especially well lately, so I'm not worried about people taking him and us losing our chance for him. So I thought might as well see how Yager does in his first couple of games with Florida and decide if he's worthy of a spot on our first place team. But maybe not everyone has someone like Riley Smith that they could drop. Maybe people are having to drop someone a little better for him. So that's where you come in. Yo, we've actually flirted with Yager this season already. We've added him once, maybe twice to our lineup over the season. And it's been a bad one. And Elon, like you said, his time on ice was getting pretty low. And I heard this story on Ottawa Radio from a former Capitals executive saying that Adam Oates, who's now one of the co-coaches of the New Jersey Devils, had beef with Yager from back when Yager was traded to Washington from Pittsburgh. We're talking way back, and that it's like still a thing, and maybe that's one of the reasons he wasn't happy in New Jersey anymore and needed to be traded and wasn't getting the right opportunities. In any case, Yarmer Yager now joins his fifth team in the four years since his return to the NHL, and I hope that Yager is able to return to a form that resembles more his 67-point season from last year rather than the 40-point guy that he's on track to be this year. He had just three points in his last 11 games with New Jersey, registering only 16 shots on goal in that span. Of course, the book on the recently-turned 43-year-old Yarmir Yager is that while his legs have slowed down, his mind hasn't, and he's actually still been an effective driver of possession and scoring chances this season. But he will need his new coach to continue sheltering his minutes. The only players on the Panthers who've been similarly deployed as Yager was with New Jersey are Brandon Perry and Vincent Trocek. 
So if Yager does join one of the top two lines, he actually might find himself starting more often in the defensive zone than he has so far this year. That said, he is going to see an upgrade in line mates when he joins Florida's top six, and should he see increased defensive zone starts, then he's going to need those line mates to help move the puck forward so that he can get to working his magic in the offensive zone. Of course, now that there is a new addition to the top six in Florida, somebody has to leave, and it looks like the odd man out is going to be Jimmy Hayes, who has been pointless in his last five games and has had nice little spurts here and there. He contributed to my fantasy team for a bit. He was reasonably consistent, a decent add in deep leagues, as we mentioned several times over the course of this season. At this point, though, as a member of Florida's third line, I don't see him having much value if he is the one who is indeed bumped out. So keep an eye on the lineups at dailyfaceoff.com. If Yager enters the top six and Hayes is dropped, you might want to do the same with Hayes. Well, yeah, also Hayes currently is slotted in on the top power play on Florida. I feel like Yager might bump him there as well. So bad news for Hayes owners probably. And I think interesting news at the least for Yarmer Yager owners. Very curious to see how he'll be able to do. Very curious to see also, not fantasy wise, but if Florida's going to be able to make the playoffs and if Yager's going to help them do that. Still lots of trades to talk about. Let's go over to Carolina. They traded away a couple of players. I'm curious to know if Brian thinks that they will have impacts on their new teams. First of all, Yuri Tlusty is over to the Jets, and I feel like we talk about the Jets every week and who's in their top six. Right now, Blake Wheeler is injured, but it's looking like that won't last. Let's assume Blake Wheeler is there. Now they have Tlusty. They still obviously have Ladd and Little. Shifley, I wonder how Froelich slots in. What's going on with the Jets now that they've added... Yuri Tlusty, or is it Tlusty? Well, it is Tlusty, and actually I thought he would really excite me going to a new team, but then I took a look at his numbers, and I found myself a little more reluctant to give him an all-out recommendation. You might remember him as a 23-goal scorer in the lockout-shortened year. He had a great season, but that was with an abnormally high shooting percentage for him. If you forget that season, he's not even a 40-point player over the course of his career. And so far this year, he's scoring at a per 60 minutes rate that's similar to Nathan Gerby, Alex Semin, and Brad Malone, who are not on anyone's fantasy teams for the most part. But Toulouse's possession numbers are very strong, and him finding himself on the right side of the puck as often as he does is one reason to hope. That, combined with a move from the production sinkhole known as Carolina to a top six role with the Jets, could help Toulouse pick up the pace from the 37 points he's on track to finish the season with at this point. One thing we can't say, however, is that Toulouse's linemates are going to get any better than they used to be. He played regularly with the Stahl brothers for the last while, although as a group, they had a pretty low on-ice shooting percentage. The best that can come of this is that Toulouse won't necessarily be facing the other team's best shutdown line as often as he was in Carolina. And perhaps that will give him a little bit more freedom to produce offensively. So I'm curious to know if Toulouse gets a top six role in Winnipeg, who's the person who's getting bumped off? I guess it'll be one of Froelich or maybe Stafford or Shifley? Yeah, it's going to be one of them. But to be honest, I don't have any insight as to who it's going to be. I know Froelich and Shifley have played together so much this year, but I would find it odd if the Jets chose to put one of their new acquisitions on their third line. So that'll be an interesting situation to watch. Yeah, another recommendation where at the end of the day, we're just saying, watch Daily Faceoff. Someone on the Jets is going to get hurt. Also, definitely keep a look at the top power play. It'll be interesting to see if one of these new acquisitions could get on there or what happens. But yeah, lots going on in Winnipeg. Hopefully now their roster could sort of stabilize and we could have an idea of what's going on so that when the fantasy playoffs come around, we could actually make a recommendation that will hold. But like I alluded to, Toulouse wasn't the only player that the Hurricanes traded for picks. They also traded Andre Sekera to the LA Kings. And this seems to me like another situation just like Timonen, where you have a player going from a worse team to a better team, but maybe that means they fall in the depth chart. Sekera obviously had that great season last year with Carolina, where he had 44 points in 74 games. Great output for a defenseman, especially someone like Sekera, who hadn't really done anything before during his time with Buffalo. This season hasn't been as great. He only had 19 points in 57 games, and now he's played one game so far for LA and has nothing to show for it points-wise. Brian, do you think this is good or bad for Sekera? And if he's a free agent, is he someone people should at least be watching and maybe adding? I think he probably is a free agent in a lot of leagues. And I don't think that this changes much for Sekera. He does really well in a defensive role, but he hasn't replicated 
last year's 44-point season. So far this year to date, he's scored two goals and 17 assists for 19 points in 57 games played. That puts him on less than a 30-point pace. And I'd expect him in LA to keep doing what he was doing while he was in Carolina, which was facing the opposition's best players and doing a fantastic job of it. But there's going to continue to be little of what may be registered in your league's categories coming from Sekera. Your plus-minus might be helped by him, but that's about it. Okay, short and sweet. Pass on Sekera. We still have a few more trades I wanted to ask you about. To me, none of these look terribly impactful, but who knows, maybe you have a hidden gem in here. Let's talk about Yuri Sakach going from Montreal to Anaheim in exchange for Devante Smith-Pelly. Do either of these guys get a bump or make themselves now more worthwhile as a potential add? These two actually appear nearly identical on the surface based on their numbers so far this season, but if you're looking to add one of them, Seacatch is probably the guy with top six potential. Although he did start off in Anaheim on the third line with Emerson Needham and Ricard Raquel, but I see no compelling reason for him to stay on that third line because the guys ahead of him on the depth chart at left wing right now are Andrew Cogliano and Kyle Palmieri. My best guess is that Yuri Sakach eventually settles in alongside Ryan Kessler on that second line, where he may have a chance to generate some points. Remember that Sakach was that highly sought-after free agent this past offseason, coming from the KHL as a semi-developed all-around player, but ended up finding himself in Mike Tarion's doghouse through most of his time in Montreal, and I'm going to blame that more on Tarion than I will on Sakach. The only standing concern I have with Sakach is his shot rate, which is barely above one shot on goal per game. We'll see whether a new situation and a new coach who does not hate him can help that out or not. Meanwhile, Devontae Smith-Pelly is probably a bottom six player, which is kind of funny, since unlike Sakach, he jumped right into his new team's top six, playing a good chunk of his first game alongside Thomas Plakanitz and Alex Galchenyuk. There's no added value for Smith-Pelly, though, in Montreal. I expect him to finish out the season in the bottom six, or at least that would be the wise coaching decision, in my humble opinion. Sakach is the one to watch here of the two. Yeah, well, considering that we mentioned Smith-Pelly throughout the season as someone to maybe look at short-term because he was taking a turn every once in a while with that top line on Anaheim, I guess that means that Sakach will now fall into the same category if and when they decide to give him a chance to play with either Perry or Getzlaff. And like you say, even playing with Kessler isn't so bad. So I agree, probably don't add either of them, but if either of them are going to have a bump, it'll probably be Sakach getting a chance to play with some of these top guys. While we're on Anaheim, we should also know that Palmieri had a nice little four-game point streak in which he picked up a goal and four assists. He's been above a half-point-per-game player on the year. Not a bad depth add to your team, especially given his current standing on Anaheim's top line and top power play unit. Okay, and let's finish this segment off. I'm going to tell you two trades, and Brian, tell me if either of these guys are worthwhile. Sean Bergenheim is now on the Wild, and Daniel Winnick is now on the Penguins. Do either of these names spark any interest in you? I was actually going to classify them the same as being uninteresting, but there's a little bit of interest in Bergenheim, and I'll tell you why. But first, why no interest in Winnick? Well, he wasn't ever really a fantasy-relevant player before. He's not fantasy-relevant now. He's kind of like the the Andre Sekera of forwards. He'll eat a lot of tough minutes and do good work on the penalty kill, but won't do a lot for you in terms of offensive production. Sean Bergenheim, meanwhile, is a possession wizard, very underrated for what he does, who goes from playing with Dave Bolden and Thomas Fleischman in Florida to, apparently, playing with Vonnick and Koivu on Minnesota's top line. The thing is, he's never been terribly productive in terms of his offense, generally below being a half-point-per-game guy with the occasional spurt over the course of his career. But his presence on the top line combined with his fantastic shot attempt differential is enough to pique my interest just a touch. He's up there, of course, because of the injury to even strength scoring whiz Jason Zucker, of course. And the wild lines have been shuffled a bunch lately, so I don't know how long Bergenheim is going to stay up there. If he's not up there on that first line, I have very, very, very little interest in him, unless your league counts Corsi. I'd be much more interested, actually, if Nino Niederreiter continued getting consistent looks in the top six. He was on the third line in Bergenheim's first game with the Wild, but he's also quietly picked up nine points in his last 15 games played. Seven of those have been goals. 
Yeah, it looks like there are some potential hidden gems over there in Minnesota. You mentioned Niederreiter. Also, Mikhail Granlund has come on a bit. As of late, he had that great one goal and two assist game against Dallas. Hasn't done much in his next two games, so I don't know how much you can depend on him. But I'll be interested to see how the lineups shake out there as well. You know, now's the time as the playoffs are approaching. I definitely don't think any of these Minnesota guys we've mentioned are people you can depend on to stick in your roster. But once the playoffs come, you're going to want to be grabbing those good games from whoever you can to maximize your weeks. So keep an eye on the Minnesota depth charts over at Daily Faceoff, who's getting a lot of bang for their buck for their partnership with us this week. We said off the top of the show, like, this is a really big time of year where things are just totally shifting all over the place. And we're doing this on a Saturday morning when trades have just happened and players haven't settled into their lineups yet. And trades are about to happen. So things are going to continue to change. There's not so much we can tell you about a player's deployment if they're changing to a different team. But we can, as we have been doing tell you about what they were able to do on their last team and the likelihood of that getting better or worse in a new hypothetical as of yet situation. There is still one more trade that happened, but I'm almost 100% positive that Brian is going to say, don't even think about it at all. But is there any value in David Clarkson now on the Columbus Blue Jackets? He got traded for Nathan Horton, who this must have been for contract reasons because he might never play again. But Brian, I know you're not a fan of Clarkson. Anything changed when he goes from the Leafs to the Blue Jackets? Yes, the trade that shocked the world. The guy with the super long contract, super expensive contract, who scored 15 goals over his last 118 games. I don't have high hopes for Clarkson in Columbus. I feel like he's still going to be like maybe a half point per game guy in Columbus. He might still get some penalty minutes. His value is probably about the same as it was back in his days of being a fringe fantasy relevant guy while he was in New Jersey from like say 2010 to 2013. That of course includes that 30 goal season that he was able to manage with a higher shooting percentage than his career average. I wouldn't expect 30 goals from David Clarkson ever again, but if your league is deep enough and you like penalty minutes, I guess perhaps he could be worth a look, but generally no. There's a guy that picked him up in our league though, Elon. Yeah, and he dropped David Jones for him, which is funny because I didn't even know David Jones was owned in our league. I would have been probably 100% certain that if something was happening with David Jones, I'd be able to go into our free agent list and add him. I guess now I can. Not that that's too exciting. Our league has had a lot of movement lately, Brian. It's very exciting. I'm sure it's not to the listeners, but I just saw just right now Scott Darling has been dropped. He got added earlier in the week, and I guess the guy got tired of him, so he might be someone to look at. But we'll discuss later. We still have more show for everybody. Before we wrap things up with a few more players of no line changes, some players on hot streaks, I want to take a second to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. I guess you guys know the spiel by now, but we have our patron-only Facebook group. We've got our monthly patron casts. We now have our patron DraftKings League. So we're having a lot of fun over in the patron group. And if you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, give us a small donation, $5 a month, and you could join the team. We're probably going to have lots of discussion over the next few weeks as we've been having whenever any of these trades are made. So if you want to be there and chat with Brian and I and all of the very knowledgeable patrons, you could become a patron by going to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I want to thank Jeremiah, Marco, and Eric K for signing up this week. Welcome aboard, guys, and we're going to have a fun ride going into the Fantasy Hockey Playoffs. If you're listening right now and you are thinking, hey, this podcast that I'm listening to right at this minute and all the work that went into it might be worth a buck and a quarter of my own money, then please, yes, go over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron and support future episodes of the show. Okay, and as promised, we still have a few more players we wanted to talk about. Specifically, I want to talk about a couple of new line situations. Let's go over to the New York Rangers, home of my newly acquired Martin St. Louis, who I picked up right before the end of the trade deadline in my pool. So you could congratulate me every time you see Martin St. Louis score for the rest of the year. But I actually wanted to talk about them because Matt Zuccarello, who is someone we had hyped up as getting an increased role He was recently dropped off the top power play for the Rangers, which I think is interesting. Also, Kevin Hayes had been doing really well, and now it looks like he's down to the third line. So, Brian, how are things shaking out on the Rangers right now? And would you still recommend a guy like Matt Zuccarello, or do you think now his value is significantly decreased being off the top power play? We've extolled the virtues of Matt Zuccarello before on the podcast, and it wasn't necessarily because of his power play production. It was because he is on the line with Rick Nash and Derek Rassard that has been clicking 
all season long, and my concern would be if he doesn't stay there anymore. At the moment, it looks like he played there for the majority of last game, so I wouldn't get too low on Matt Zuccarello based on leaving the first power play unit, of course. You know, that's a bit of a disappointment, for sure, but not enough to say, screw it, I'm over Matt Zuccarello and I'm going to drop him. Yeah, and hey, 12 points in his last 15 games. He's doing really well. Just wanted to throw it out there, though, that people might have a little reason to be concerned. Also, he only played 16 minutes and 51 seconds in his last game. Before that, he had been getting 18 or 20. But, you know, that's just one game, and it's just a couple of minutes, so there could be lots of reasons for that. Definitely something I'll be monitoring as I'm looking at what's going on with the Rangers. And if we keep looking at what's going on with the Rangers, it's hard not to notice Kevin Hayes, Jimmy Hayes, as star might be falling, but... Another Hayes is stepping up to carry the torch. Kevin's got 13 points in his last 14 games, 6 goals, and 7 assists. And that's been a very good thing for anyone who's been able to grab him off the waiver wire. Because, I mean, he's been producing for about a month now. Of course, here's the part where I say that it is not sustainable. He has 6 goals on 23 shots in his last 13 games. That gives him a shooting percentage of 26.1%. So I don't think he's going to be able to keep up a success rate like that. And the greater concern for him is that he just has 73 shots on goal on the entire season, which is not even like one and a half shots per game. So not a high volume shooter, just seeing a few more of his shots go in. He is a reasonably efficient shooter at 16.4%. But of course, I think if he started throwing three or four shots on goal a game, that might go down a little bit. Still a good depth add though, if you're looking for one right now, see how long that lasts. If you're looking for another depth at, let's get real deep and go to a player who has scored goals for three different teams this season. He scored them for Nashville, he scored them for Edmonton, and now he's scoring them for Arizona. Mark Arcobello has five goals in seven games with the Coyotes so far. Of course, he's done that on 18 shots, so that's like just a hair under 28% success rate. But he did throw seven shots on goal in a 5-1 loss against the Islanders. He's a fun guy to watch, and we remember him from a while ago. I think it was last season he was putting up a lot of assists at the start of the year with Edmonton, fighting off an AHL demotion while doing it. I still don't think he's a terribly relevant player, and is also hampered by the fact that he's playing with David Moss and Martin Erat on the Coyotes' third line, I guess. It's hard to really differentiate the talent level from their second and third lines. He's definitely not on their first line, which seems like the only reasonable place to see sustained production as a Coyote this season. But it's worth acknowledging, and if you're looking to maybe ride his luck a little longer, you can go ahead and take a look at Mark Arcobello. Okay, and Brian, I want to end the show with a player that we talked about a lot at the start of the year, someone who you clinged to for so long before finally dropping... But I wonder now if you're getting excited about him again. Alex Semin, I failed to mention when we talked about Toulouse getting traded from Carolina, that opened up a spot on the top line on Carolina, and it looks like right now Semin is slotting in with Eric Stahl and Jordan Stahl, which are, you know, two great line mates, and you'd think that's an opportunity to score. Definitely better than being healthy scratched, which is something that's happened to him a lot during the season. And if you look at his numbers recently, he had a two-assist game against Philadelphia. Before that, he got an assist against New Jersey. Also in the game against Philly, he had seven shots on goal. He's only got 51 shots in 36 games on the year. But in his last three games, he has three, seven, and two. So he's shooting more than he has at any time before in the season. He's getting some points. If he's on the top line, that means he's not being scratched. Brian, do you think Semin is someone that should get back on people's radars? Or are you not going to let that happen to you again? No, he should be back on people's radars. Of course. Of course. I have a soft spot still, despite the betrayal that I felt from him so far this season. I tweeted about the little run that you mentioned recently, but it's also worth noting, Elon, that as we saw from Yuri Toulouse's numbers, riding alongside Eric and Jordan Stahl is not a guarantee for any kind of production. Of course, I've had Semin on my watch list all season, and I will continue to. There are some encouraging signs, including Elon a seven-shot game against Philadelphia. Right, yeah. It's always interesting when someone takes a whole bunch of shots when he's hardly taken any on the year. Simmons supposed to be a shot taker, right? And a goal scorer. So it's been a really weird season for him. It'll be interesting to see. I feel like that's what you need to watch. If you're adding Simmons to your watch list, keep a look at if he's able to put shots on net instead of the zeros that he had in the previous 
handful of games before this little three-game run that he's currently on. Yeah, that seven shots on goal was a season high so far this year. And last year, he was averaging over three shots on goal per game. And so you can look at Alex Semin this year and say, well, his shooting percentage is under 4%, which is just like inhumane. That should not be allowed. That is a third of his career average shooting percentage. But also, he's not doing himself any favors by not taking shots. Hopefully, this is the start of remedying some of that. Yeah, and speaking of guys taking shots that previously weren't, did you see that Mark Strait in his last game had 10 shots against the Leafs? I tweeted about this from our account. I was blown away. He had 97 shots in 61 games going into that game. That's like 1.5 a game average. Also, 97 shots. That's less than 100 shots. Then he took 10 shots in one game. I don't expect that to happen again, but as a straight owner in a league that counts shots as one of the five offensive categories, it was quite a pleasant surprise. Hey, and he also had two power play assists that game. Huh, so you put shots on net and good things happen. That's that's weird. Yeah, though... Hey, Mark Strait, he hasn't needed to put shots on because, like I said, he only had 97 and 61 games before this game against Toronto, and he still has managed to put up 40 points on the year. So I guess when you're on the power play with Philadelphia, you don't necessarily need to put shots on net in order to get points. Just pass it to Giroux or Voracek. And it's that time again to wrap up this week's show. In case you didn't catch it before, we recorded this on Saturday morning, so keep in mind if you're listening to this on Sunday, we haven't included any of Saturday night's games because we are not time travelers, unfortunately. So if you want to get our thoughts on how these new players are doing on their teams, I think the best way in the short term will be to follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. You can also tweet at us if you have any specific questions. Like I always like to mention, if you want to do us a favor, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, give us some exposure. Of course, you can become a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. The trade deadline is coming. It's very exciting. Brian, where are you going to be lurking in order to be up to date on all trade deadline news and rumors? Well, of course, Daily Faceoff is very good for tweeting out the news as it happens and keeping track of any eventual line changes. If you're looking for analysis, two fantastic places that I go to right away once a trade happens are tsn.ca's Scott Cullen, who guested on the show a few weeks ago. He does great breakdowns of what a player's done so far this season and what they might do with their new team. And also over at Dauber Hockey, they do a great job of running down the fantasy impact, not only for the player involved, but all the players around it. So other players on the rosters of the teams that the player was traded to and from. Right, yeah. So for example, Jimmy Hayes, like we said, that he might take a hit with Yager coming to Florida. If you want analysis like that, Dauber Hockey is really good for it. But with that, Brian, let's cue that outro music and read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was, believe it or not, presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. We researched the show with help from War on Ice, Hockey Reference, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Thanks, man. Great show as always, and I'll be talking to you again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>